Hi, my name's Stephen Crafty and I'm presenting Talking Design. I'm here with a, a, a very uh, well-known person whose credentials are extraordinary, um, Roz Moriarty, who's Managing Director and Co-Founder of Ballaringi and Honorary Managing Director and Co-Founder of the Moriarty Foundation. Welcome to the program, Roz. Thanks, Stephen. Nice to chat. Uh, look, everyone may not have met you, or uh, obviously you're a one person um, and you're a high profile, but everyone, everyone would probably associate um, Baron, Bar Ballaringi uh, with the graphics on the Qantas uh, aeroplanes. Would that be correct to say that's a very strong branding exercise? Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, a project and a series of aircraft over a 20-year span starting in 1994 that very much orientated our studio in the, well, in Australia as, as well as within the design marketplace for sure. Um, Rose, look, I, I do feel, look, your, your CV is extraordinary. I think people should realise some of the things that you've done. I mean, it almost would take up the entire program, but you've uh, published a series of award-winning books, children's books. Uh, you've been um, awarded all these accolades, the Design Association, uh, the Graphic Design Association Hall of Fame, Australian Businesswoman uh, Businesswoman's Hall of Fame. How did how did how did so many things come together? To and why did it lead you into the direction of Ballaringi? Maybe help me with how how that relationship was established. I guess some of the things you're referring to, Stephen, are because we've been around a while now. So the Ballaringi Studio is really coming up to its 40 years, 138 years this year. So, you know, it's a long career and a, and a long time in this business. Um, and I should, you know, absolutely recognise my business partner and husband, John Moriarty, who is the reason, really, that we established the company um, back 40 years ago when we talked about establishing a mechanism to celebrate Aboriginal art and design. John's a Yanua man from the Gulf of Carpentaria. Uh, we have three kids, but we had our first child, who was a young boy, born in Melbourne, uh, but belonged deeply to traditional community in the Gulf of Carpentaria, about 13 hours drive southeast of Darwin. Um, and it was a little bit accidentally that it became design as a way to reflect his heritage and our aspiration as parents to, I guess, acknowledge that these children of ours, Yanua children, and, you know, um, we hoped Australian children with a secure future in both their deep cultural heritage and in whatever contemporary Australia would, would bring their way, just happened to be reflected in a silk screening some long-necked turtles onto that first child's bed linen, um, eventually launching some collections. And over a period of time, it would be 10 years and two more children, uh, another son and our daughter, um, you know, again, with this deep passion around the philosophy of, of um, recognising their deep heritage and celebrating that by driving up and down five days to the Gulf um, many times over that period to take them back to country. And because John was a stolen generations child when he was only four years of age, it was all part of our family story that quite accidentally, I think, became a design story. So when, when you know, you're doing um, bed linen and, and art, when did it start to become serious? You know, Ballaringi became more than just, you know, a small enterprise 
you know, I mean, when did it really struck home to you that, wow, we're onto something that's kind of something more than just another graphic design studio? I think it was probably always there in terms of intent. You know, we always wanted to be Australian designers, um, but with this unique expression of John's heritage and of Australia's deep Indigenous heritage. Um, but I think it didn't manifest really until probably that first Qantas aircraft. So that would have been 20, sorry, 10 years after we established. We'd done a few things. We'd, we had designed some uniforms for budget rent a car sort of early on. We had done some carpets for the Snowy Mountains scheme. You know, we were already, um, I guess, exploring what we could be, but it was difficult because we were still establishing what our handwriting might be and the market didn't exist. So we were trying to build a market, build interest, um, as well as try to work out, well, you know, is there anywhere here we can survive? You know, is there anywhere we can actually make a living as well as stay close to our philosophy? And, you know, probably it was 20 years really before we really felt we had established ourselves securely in, uh, in a design expression that was starting to be noticed. A long, it was a long time. Um, Ros, what was the impact of the graphics on the Qantas airplane? What was the type of, you know, I mean, people say in business, you know, there's this, uh, you know, it becomes viral. I kind of hate the word because nothing I've ever done has ever become viral. But I imagine having those wonderfully strong graphics that were so fresh must have created quite a ripple for your enterprise at the time. And and what, 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 um, subsequently fed on from that. You're right, actually, Stephen. I don't know that we ever have ever thought about it as um, something that went viral because it wasn't a thing back then, but it did. You're absolutely right. You know, One of the Dreaming became the most photographed aircraft in the world. And it was a design concept. We took to Qantas and talked to them about this not being an advertisement, this not being about selling seats to flights not even being, you know, promotion necessarily of Ballaringi, but really being a statement by a big Australian on the global stage. We felt if we could get Qantas as probably the biggest Australian in terms of branding at that time on a world stage to reflect its identity and to celebrate Aboriginal art and culture in this way, then perhaps other Australians would, uh, would see it. And I start to feel an affinity that was driving our passion and philosophy to express what we were seeing as a family, as a much broader Australian belonging. And, you know, it took a long time to convince Qantas. It took us 18 months to convince Qantas. Wow. <laughs> Talk about patience. I mean, what did you think your chances were? Because you're relatively small practice then, you know, to, uh, to uh, you know, present with, you know, a, a very large company like um, Qantas. Did you feel like, you know, David and Goliath and what are we actually doing and do we have really, you know, a chance? I don't think we stopped to think. Um, yeah, I just think we just had this. I woke up at 2 o'clock one morning with this idea of we really need to paint a jumbo. I don't know where it came from. Um, it was always, as I said, couched in expressing Australia on the world stage. So we felt we felt that our direction and our passion for it and the reason we wanted to do it were right. We, we thought they had integrity. And so I think we were confident. Um, but, you know, as we neared those sort of months and months and months, we just were simply also trying to survive as a design company. So 
definitely we'd backburned it and it really came out of the blue um, 18 months in when they decided to do it. They decided to do it as a three-month promotion. Um, it ended up being so successful that, and as you say, it went, went viral. So it ended up um, 17 years in the air wow. and led to another four aircraft, the most recent of which was um, an Emily Kamwe and Ware work in 2018. So it's been a fantastic partnership. And, um, Ros, before we move off planes, because no one's really travelling at the moment, so they're probably not seeing those wonderful graphics um, that you've put so much time into, they will. Um, uh, what are the other projects that kind of, well, what are the other projects that came as a result of that? Look, as most design studios who are quite multidisciplinary like us, I guess, with a really unique philosophical focus in sharing Indigenous imagery and art and culture. Um, we really felt around for where our niche might be. And, you know, we've done everything, really. We, we launched fashion collections in Paris in the early 90s alongside that first aircraft. Three years, we, we launched at Paris fashion shows. Um, we sold into Mediterranean resort locations. We did pretty well with, with those. We did a whole range of interior wool furnishings, um, you know, again, lovely work. At the same time, we were building our studio capacity and bringing artists and designers in to work with us. And we were looking for major, I guess, client relationships as well. And it's really been in the last probably five or six or seven years that we've worked very much in major infrastructure in a way that brings local Aboriginal community to the table. You know, we've worked with, um, with local Aboriginal artists for a really long time. So um, from the 90s, uh, we've been returning royalties through collections to artists in the Territory in Western Australia and, you know, various places. But a lot of our philosophy about telling the Australian um, narrative that includes our foundational story of our Indigenous belonging um, you know, that has reflected in the last few years in major infrastructure. So projects like Sydney's new metro development, the underground rail system, um, a range of the, the Pacific Highway is, is another project. We're involved in bringing local Aboriginal people to the table, not just for public art outcomes or wayfinding or signage, but really to influence deeply how integrated design teams are viewing a project, how they're thinking differently about you know, what Australia might be presenting as who we are, because the Aboriginal narrative is still pretty much invisible in our public places. I was going to ask you, um, oh, there's so many things on my mind. It's um, uh, how was the uh, first thing, How because uh, I have a bit of a fashion background in the 80s, how was the fashion received in Paris when it was first presented? Because it would have been just so new. I mean, it's so non-European. It's not, it would have been a land, you know, the, the, the prints and the fabrics would have been quite extraordinary. I mean, how did they react? We had a great reaction. And as you say, it was the 80s. So the colours were vibrant, the, the graphics were strong and, you know, flamboyant, if you like. So it didn't look concurrently we were launching in Japan so we did a lot of work between uh, 90 and 2000 in Japan and again we were doing uh, you know lots of things like fashion like swimwear um, even uh, eyewear cloths we were doing bindings for tatami matting we were interpreting kimonos um, a whole lot of cultural work we were doing in Japan as well and there I think we were really interested to see quite how keen they were to know the stories. And sometimes we would 
have our associates from Japan come and visit the studio. We were based in South Australia and we would take them up to Wollaroo, for instance, and they really had a sense of antiquity, that this was something that they might feel at one of their temples, obviously, you know, exponentially older in terms of what they were sensing in Australia. But we felt there was a real meeting of minds in Japan and we really loved working in Japan for all those years. And, Ros, why is that that not continuing? Look, um, back back then, I think um, the the structure, it's actually the structure of the Japanese market changed quite a lot. So we were working in department stores like um, like Isatan, for instance, that were pretty upmarket. Um, the manufacturing frameworks were able to, you know, ha- have a licensing component that we were able to work quite uh, extensively and in depth on collections. And that was reflected in the price of products. There was then, I think, what they called at the time a distribution revolution and Japan started to look at uh, more chain store kind of operations. Um, It really was a case that it really wasn't, after a period of time, structurally possible for us to continue. And I think we were also getting uh, the sense that there was a bigger issue about, you know, trying to integrate this narrative into public place and, you know, kind of like a lot of design companies, I think the the opportunities change and it, there's a little bit of reinvention over 40 years and I think we're now probably cutting edge and very current. We have quite a young team. So there's been that reinvention as well. And moving moving away from retail product, we really don't, we're not involved very much at all, uh, into much more business to business these days and equipping teams. It's almost, we're almost moving into this legacy phase and yet we're cutting edge and it's and it's very contemporary but it's almost sharing this 40 years of interpreting um, Aboriginal art and design and culture and integrity and authenticity into the hands of Australian designers who, whom in collaboration and in co-design with the Aboriginal community can start to reveal stories that have been hidden for way too long. It's almost like social movements have coincided with this desire we have to share our knowledge. Um, Ros, I was going to ask you, in terms of, I mean, I've written on a couple of projects for different publications, um, newspapers in particular, where um, your work has come up or the uh, obviously you've been involved. I mean, one of them was Brickworks in, um, in Burwood uh, in Melbourne, and you teamed up with, um, well, an, uh, an Indigenous artist uh, teamed up with Russell and George to do a food uh, hall. Do you remember that project? Or? Yes, definitely. Yes, yes, with, with Fraser's property. With Fraser's property. And I thought that was really interesting because they uh, they used a, a local artist to create something that was so different from a, a you know, a, a typical um, shopping centre that really, you know, could be anywhere um, around the globe. This one was quite different. It's smaller development, so they can obviously take a few more risks and but there was a signature there. I was going to ask you, how do you select the artist? How do you brief the artist? What was the, the, you know, the outcome that you were hoping for? Yeah, Mandy did terrific work on that project. We're really delighted to see... Uh, the name the of the board. artist again? Yes, Mandy. So we're, we're just, you know, really delighted that the, that the artist, uh, you know, was... Um, Wurundjeri Artist was, was commissioned to do this work and that Fraser's, as you say, was able to, to make the opportunity available. Our process starts with community. So it's really um, looking at who the 
who speaks for that country, who speaks for the area where the site is. And that site can be anywhere from, you know, a city block to a building to a precinct to an area of a city or the state. And then we're speaking to a number of stakeholders with, from within the Aboriginal community in relation to the project. And really the ideas for the artists uh, come through that process. And we then look at often a number of artists and just see whose work we believe is amenable for a project. And then in conjunction with the artist, uh, sometimes a workshop of artists and sometimes artists choose to work together as well. Um, so we, we allow that process to be quite community led and then we work with the client to, uh, you know, to create the scale and the application. And that's where Ballerinji's design process comes into place where we're working in tandem with the artist and the art to, as you say, create something that uh, challenges the norms a bit. Because for people who can't see the Brickworks uh, food pavilion, um, perhaps just explain, you know, briefly what, how it looks. It's very graphic. It's on the ceiling. It's almost like a parasol. Uh, of, of, you know, the images in front of me. But how would you describe that work, Roz? Yes, you're right. It's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's quite um, uh, enveloping, <laughs> I think. Yes. It, it, does, it does have, it's a canopy. And it, uh, we also have a glazing element, uh, an element at the facade level too. Um, but I think when you're in that space, it, it is, um, it's a series of canvases that, uh, it's hard, I'm using my hands yeah. here to describe how it looks. Which it is, is hard, sorry. I've, I've, hand, I've handballed a very difficult <laughs> description to you. Well, it's, it's, if you like, it's a, it's a flowing ceiling um, over a very uh, large area, really. So it's, um, it's a very, it, it's black and white. It's graphical, it's quite large scale. So it's, um, it's quite a strong statement. Um, Ros, uh, you know, Australians obviously, uh, well, they're becoming more familiar with Indigenous art and Indigenous expression. Uh, have you, has um, uh, Ballaringi been successful in creating uh, similar environments in key cities around the world or is it something that you're working on? Yeah, look, it's really interesting. And, uh, you know, as, as you say, the work by Mandy Nicholson that was part of, um, you know, the Warren Jerry community engagement piece, that, that community engagement piece is what needs to drive all our installations uh, around Australia. Um, and also similarly, if we are embarking on work internationally, we tend to be more involved in graphic projects internationally at the moment than, say, public art um, or architectural direction and intent. So we worked on the Australia's War Memorial expression at, uh, in Wellington in New Zealand. We worked there with, um, uh, with, with a, a number of graphic directions on the architectural solution there. But again, that was in collaboration with some Maori work as well. Uh, we've worked on, we worked on the International Cricket, International Cricket Committee, the World Cup back in 2015 with Future Brand. Um, again, we were the specialist designer uh, on some of the both Aboriginal and Maori uh, imagery. We do have very strong connections and working relationships with Maori artists as well. Um, I sat down with some Canadian uh, First Nations and Métis architects a couple of years ago in Canada, 
and talk to them about their approach to design principles, Indigenous principles, and how it impacts their work, a little bit parallel to what we're doing here with a number of architectural firms where we're working on airport projects or um, train stations, or as I said, highways like the M12, uh, Pacific Highway. And it was interesting that in Canada, there's a view from, from some of these terrific architects who have been working for decades really in a similar space that they that they they feel their work is influenced by their own principles, but they've not necessarily made the leap into making this methodology available or even making it, um, you know, desired or uh, opening up those channels where the wider design community can be involved. Certainly, it's of interest to them, but they have this view that they design seven years for seven years before and take into account seven years ahead. So there is this lovely context of, um, you know, a, a generation of consideration. So that, that was really interesting. Um, oh, I've lost my, uh, I was going to say that as, as the world, uh, I don't like the word uh, global particularly, Ros, but, you know, the last few decades, I'd say everything is becoming quite homogenised. You know, things, shops that appear in one country, you know, literally can be found in the identical shop or whatever it is, restaurant, uh, can be found anywhere in the world. And, you know, when you start to travel, when travelling does permit again, you know, I think most people realise that everything's becoming a little bit too same. And so actually for uh, countries such as Australia to create a different identity, so when you, whether you arrive at an airport or whether you go to a, um, you know, a shopping centre such as Brickworks, there's actually a sense of place that I feel that people are now uh, wanting more than ever. Is that perhaps correct? Certainly, Stephen, it's what has driven our philosophy from day one is to express Australianness, Australian identity in terms of who we deeply are, uh, you know, from the beginnings of our heritage. And I think, I know, like you, that when, you know, to travel internationally, you really want to have that authentic experience of that country, not something prepared for tourists or, as you say, you know, um, a chain of stores that's the same, whether you're in London, New York, Paris, um, or anywhere in between. So I think there is that appetite. And I think it's, you know, it's great that we can use that as a way to, to reconsider how we do define who we are in our public places. And, you know, it's not just, I guess, for visitors or, you know, what people want to see, but I think there is a growing appetite, as, you know, as I mentioned, I think there's a social movement there that's is. growing alongside the design movement, which is exactly what we want to see, uh, where there is an expectation now that this silence isn't helpful, it isn't right, and it's not rich. So we've been doing quite a lot of work lately with Government Architect here in Sydney, um, Dylan Convermary, who um, has, has headed up one of those units who's been absolutely instrumental in, in getting over many, many years of, you know, getting designers and architects and thinkers to consider, you know, this Indigenous sense of Australia and, and in this case of New South Wales and Sydney. Um, you know, that thinking is now very possible because there's an appetite for it and it's, it's not just the fact that it's a social equality issue and that it's right that we are telling this authentic story but it also makes for better places richer places more interesting places and as you say uh unique places that are unique to us and 
I know Dylan's work really is, is very much around designing with country. So it's where country is the determinant. So it's a little different from designing people first. And that really relates right back to the very first Indigenous principles, which are country nurtures everything and country is in everything and we are of country. Um, so, again, these are principles of Indigenous thinking. They're not just uh, displaying something Indigenous. Um, you know, they, they really are looking at it quite differently. Ros, what are you excited about most about On the Horizon, the projects that are coming up that you really, or you, you can't say? Um, look, we're involved in, as I said, a number of really big infrastructure projects. So whether those are around big urban developments, and we have a number of those underway, some of them are under wraps. We've been working on uh, Macquarie Group's redevelopment at 50 Martin Place in Sydney, which is a you know, a very interesting um, major development where we have a client and a very large team of designers who are all very open, committed, engaged and uh, collaborative um, in terms of how this narrative work and principles will be reflected in that very significant building in Sydney CBD. And we're working on probably another three or four or five of those types of projects. So what excites me, I think, is that as we near this four decade point, all those things we've worked on to illuminate, to activate, to get people thinking differently in a design sense and to acknowledge and enjoy and share and enrich and, you know, enrich. Uh, John's view as an Aboriginal person, as a Yanua man, has always been to, um, to share culture and to, you know, provide channels that are authentic and hold value. And so I think the exciting thing for me is that we are leading, I think, our collaborators and those companies we work with to an equitable kind of response. So the way that Aboriginal people are remunerated, the way intellectual property is cared for, it's, it's a very holistic approach that I think excites me that, you know, when you're a young design company and way back when, uh, trying to create a market, you're really just trying to find out where you can, you know, where, where can you get a chink in the armour? Like where, yes. where can you make a bit of something? Whereas now I feel like the environment has changed and we have a number of people working in fields either like ours or akin to ours um, and our own design teams, uh, you know, and including our, our son, who's I said, that, that, that baby who, um, you know, we, we celebrated his heritage with, um, with, with a Duna cover way back then is, is working with us, the creative director. And, you know, his, his ideas are, are driving a number of things that the team is doing. So for us, it's a little bit full circle as well. And uh, I think, as you mentioned earlier, we have a foundation where we work on early years and football for, to enable Aboriginal families and communities to change up life trajectories for kids. Um, so in a sense, there's that full circle as well. The other thing that people... Uh, and I'm sure listeners would love to know, is that uh, you've written numerous children's books and a number of them have been um, received awards. Um, do you miss that side of the work that you started years ago or are you planning another book? Or Really interesting question, Stephen. I need a parallel life. <laughs> it's, um, it, look, it's, as I said to you, we're nearing 40 years and yet the business has never been more vibrant and... We have a young team, incredibly talented team, a terrific collaborative culture, um, great clients who, you know, really 
get what we're getting at. So we're getting that understanding that I guess it's taken a really long time and there are a whole lot of, you know, factors that are coming together that are enabling us to do that. I, I love to write. I am working on a novel. Um, oh, good. I'm squeezing time to do that, yes. Look, thank you so much for being on the program. I know you must be incredibly busy, but... Um, you're an important story and um, uh, Ballaringi is a very important company uh, to Australia now. So, look, thanks so much for being on the program, Roz. It's been just a pleasure. And um, you've been on my list for some time and I'm delighted that you've been able to join us today. Thank you, Stephen. My pleasure. You've been listening to Stephen Crafty. Talking Design is produced by RMIT University and brought to you in partnership with Melbourne City Council. 